We're going to be learning in Chidusha Ben Uchaim Halevi, the fourth piece in Hilchos Bikurim. This is Perak Ches Halacha Vav. And the context Rab Chaim's discussing is when dough being hefker, being ownerless, exempts it from the obligation of challah. And the conceptual idea that he's going to develop is that the obligation of challah begins at the moment when it becomes dough, which is an idea he's touched on in Hilchos Truma, the second piece on Perak Aleph Halacha Chaf Beis. The Rambam rules that dough, which is owned by hektish, it's sanctified, or it's hefker, it's ownerless, is exempt from challah. And he writes, If someone sanctified or made ownerless his wheat, and then he redeemed it or reacquired it and then made it into dough. Or the other way, if he made it into dough and then he sanctified or made it ownerless, and then he reacquires it. So in all those cases, chayeves bechala. So if he owned the wheat at the moment when it became dough, even if it had been previously sanctified or ownerless, or if it was subsequently sanctified or ownerless, and then he reacquired it, in both of those situations, he's obligated in chala because he owned the dough when he made it. But then the Rambam has a third case. Higdisha kodim shenizgalgalav, nizgalgalabiyad hahektish, if he sanctified it before it became dough, and then it was made dough while it was owned by Hektish, and then he redeemed it. So in that case, Petura, it's exempt from Chala, because when it was made into dough, which is the moment when it becomes obligated in Chala, it was exempt from the obligation of Chala because it was owned by Hektish. So those are the Rambam's three cases that he discusses, and the only case where there's an exemption is when the dough was owned by Hektish at the moment when it became dough. Now, Reb Chaim points out that a careful reading of the Rambam shows that in the first two cases where there's an obligation, the Rambam mentioned two cases, both Hektish and Hefker. But in the third case where the Rambam is saying that it's exempt, he only mentions Hektish, but he drops Hefker. Now, on a practical level, it's clear that Hefker is going to be parallel to Hektish. Because since the Rambam said that if it was Hefker before or after it was made into dough, it's still obligated, then obviously the only case where dough is exempt from challah because it's Hefker is when it was Hefker at the moment when it became dough. Exactly the same as Hektish. And that's what the Shulchan Aruch in Yerodeah, Simon Shin Lamid says explicitly that Hefker is equivalent to Hektish, that if it was Hefker when it became dough, then it's exempt. So the question is, if practically there's no difference between Hefker and Hektish, why does the Rambam drop the case of Hefker when he gets to the case where it's exempt if it was Hektish when he made the dough? So there has to be a conceptual distinction between Hektish and Hefker so that even though practically they're the same, for some reason the Rambam omits Hefker in the last case. So Rab Chaim explains that there is no explicit exemption from Chala for Hefker. The Pasuk says, Ariso Seichem, that you have to own the dough, but from there we only exclude dough owned by Hektish or owned by a non-Jew. But it doesn't say explicitly that dough of Hefker is exempt from Chala. So it must be, according to Rab Chaim, that we derive this from Truma and Meiser, where it is explicit that Hefker is exempt, because the way the Torah describes it is Ubaha Levi, that the Levi comes to collect a portion from the produce which is owned by the rest of the Jews, but the Levi has no portion because they're not given land. 
So that means only produce which is owned by the rest of the Jews and not the Levi is included in those halachas. But Hefker, which is ownerless, everyone's equal, the Levi and the Israel, so that's exempt from Truma and Meiser. So since it's explicit that Hefker is exempt from Truma and Meiser, and Chala is a form of Truma, so it's also included in that halacha. And from there we derive that dough of Hefker is exempt from Chala. Now, with regard to the exemptions of Hektish and Hefker in Truma and Meiser, so Rab Chaim points to a very key distinction between these two exemptions, and that is that the exemption of Hektish means that Hektish has to own the produce when it grows a third, and then when it's smooth, which is when it's completed. So those two milestones are when Truma and Meiser obligation kicks in, and in order for the exemption of Hektish to take effect, it has to own the produce at those two moments. So there's a specific moment when Hektish has to have ownership. But if it was Hektish before it grew a third, and then the farmer reacquired it and it grew a third and he completed it, then he would be obligated. Which is different than Hefker, where any crop which was ownerless is going to be exempt once it's completed. There is no specific time when it has to have been ownerless. And this distinction is in the Mishnah in Peah, Perak Aleph, Mishnah Vav, where the Mishnah rules that if someone makes their crop Peah, the corner gifts to the poor, so then it's exempt from Meiser. Similarly, says the Mishnah, Mishum Hefker, if someone makes his crops ownerless, then he's also exempt from Meiser. Ad Marech, so long as he made it ownerless before the crops were completed. As opposed to someone who makes his crops hegdish and then redeems them is obligated in Meiser unless it was hegdish when it was completed. So there's a clear distinction between hegdish and hefker that hefker at any time is going to exempt the produce even if he reacquires it and then completes it. Whereas Hegdish is only going to exempt the produce if it was completed by the Besam Mikdash as Hegdish. But if he reacquires it before then, then he's obligated. Now, the reason why Hefker is not exempt if he makes it ownerless after he completed it is because of a technicality. At that point, it was already obligated in Truma and Meiser, so it doesn't lose the obligation by becoming Hefker. But there's an inherent exemption of Hefker at any point in the process that it makes it exempt from Truma and Meiser, unless it's already become obligated, in which case Hefker can't remove that existing obligation. So this is a key difference between Hektesh and Hefker with regard to Truma and Meiser that Rab Chaim points out. So now putting these two points together, if the exemption of Hefker by Chala is derived from Truma and Meiser, and with regard to Truma and Meiser, there is no specific moment when Hefker kicks in, at any point in the process before it's completed, the exemption of Hefker will kick in. So the same should theoretically be true with regards to Chala, that at any point in the process, if the wheat is made into Hefker before it becomes obligated when it becomes dough, then there should be an exemption of Hefker. But says Rab Chaim, that's not going to work on a practical level because there's a complicating factor with regards to the process of the obligation of Chala. Because Rab Chaim believes that the entire concept of Chala only begins when it's made into dough. Before that, the wheat and the flour are totally unrelated 
to the obligation of challah. So if that's the case, if it became hefker when it was wheat or flour, that's not going to in any way impact the obligation of challah once it becomes dough. If someone acquires it and then makes it into dough, they should be fully obligated in challah, unlike the equivalent case of produce, where it is related to this specific produce which grew in the ground. So if it was hefker at any point, then there is no obligation of truma and meiser. But challah is different because it's unrelated to anything that happened to this flour before it became dough. So even if it was hefker earlier on in the process, once it becomes dough, it should be obligated in challah. And if it becomes hefker after it's already dough, so then it's certainly obligated because there's an existing obligation which doesn't get removed. So the only case where you could invoke the leniency of hefker with regard to challah is only when it was hefker when it was made into dough. And then if it's hefker, it would actually be exempt from challah because that's the moment when the obligation should kick in. And since it's hefker, there is no obligation, so it would now be exempt forever. So this now is a conceptual difference between hektish and hefker with regard to challah because even though practically they function the same, that in both cases, if it was hektish or hefker before it became dough or after it became dough, but not at the moment when it became dough, so then it's obligated in challah. But if it was hektish or hefker at the moment when it became dough, so then it's exempt from challah. So practically there's no difference. But the whole theoretical framework of them is different because hektish actually needs to be at the moment when it becomes dough because that's the whole halacha of hektish. It has to be owned by hektish during the milestones when it would have become obligated in Truman Meiser or Chala. So that's why in this case, the milestone is the making of the dough. So it has to be owned by hektish at that moment in order to be exempt. If it's owned by hektish at a different moment, then there's no exemption. As opposed to hefker, which is a much broader exemption. So it should kick in at any point in the process, but that's only on a theoretical level. Since before it's made into dough, the flour is unrelated to the eventual obligation of challah. And since after it's dough, there's already an obligation of challah. So practically, the exemption of hefker has no other time to kick in other than when it's made into dough. But that's different than the way it's formulated with hektish when it's more intrinsically connected to the milestone of it becoming dough. Hefker is just almost by chance, that's the only time when it can take effect, but the halacha inherently is a much broader halacha that if the dough became hefker at any point in the process, then it would be exempt. So that's Rab Chaim's explanation for the Rambam's wording, even though the halacha is the same, but the Rambam is hinting at this major conceptual and theoretical distinction between Hegdish and Hefker, and that's why he drops Hefker in the last case when he's giving the actual exemption, because he's trying to show that this is not an inherent exemption to Hefker. It's just practically the only application of the much broader exemption of Hefker. So by explicitly listing the exemption with regard to Hektish and dropping Hefker, he's hinting at this whole theoretical construct Rab Chaim developed, that the leniency of Hegdish with regard to Chala is related to the moment of making the dough. 
as opposed to the leniency of Hefker with regards to challah, which is not related to that moment. It's at any moment, just practically it's at that moment. So this is what Rab Chaim very often finds in the Rambam, even though the Rambam is a halacha and a practical work, but he sees all sorts of conceptual ideas in the way the Rambam formulates things and the wording he chooses, and this is an example of that. Now, in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim questions the whole approach he's been developing because the assumption is that there's a key distinction between Chala versus Truma and Meiser, that with regards to Chala, nothing that happened before it becomes dough is relevant to the obligation of Chala. But he questions this from the first Mishnah in the third chapter of Chala, where it says, One can snack, meaning not eat a meal, from the dough until it gets rolled, meaning it gets finalized. Once it's rolled, then anyone who eats from it gets punished because they're obligated to take chala at that point. But then the Mishnah says, As soon as the woman puts the water into the flour, even before she's mixed it into dough, so then she could voluntarily take the chala from that point on. So Rab Chaim points out that this Mishnah seems to create a process of becoming obligated in Chala, which is exactly parallel to produce becoming obligated in Meiser. Because with regards to Meiser, there's a two-step process. Once it grows a third, so then the farmer could voluntarily take off the Meiser, even though it's not obligated yet. And then later on, when the produce is completed, it becomes obligated in Meiser. But there's a middle step in the process when the produce has not become obligated yet, but there is a concept of truma and meiser on this produce. So if the farmer takes it at that point, it would be valid, legitimate truma and meiser. And the same thing seems to be with regards to challah. When the woman puts the water in the flour, at that moment it's not obligated in challah, but if she takes the challah, then that would be valid challah. It only becomes obligated later on when she mixes it together and turns it into the dough. So if there's a two-step process, and at the first step, it becomes able to take challah, it's in the concept of challah, and then at the second step, it becomes obligated in challah, so then that would throw off Rab Chaim's whole analysis earlier. Because what happens if someone puts the water into the flour and then makes it ownerless and then reacquires it and then mixes it together as dough? So according to Rab Chaim, they should still be exempt because at some point in the process, it was Hefker. Whereas the Rambam does not say that explicitly. He only implies that if it was Hefker, at the moment it was made into dough, then it would be exempt from Chala. But he's missing this case where it was Hefker at one point in the process after the water was poured into the flour, but before it became dough. So then even if it wasn't Hefker when it became dough, it should still be exempt, parallel to Truma and Meiser, where if he made the produce Hefker after it grew a third and before it was completed, it would still be exempt after it was completed. So because of this question, Rab Chaim concludes in the Rambam that if the Hefker happened before it was made into dough, even after the water was poured into the flour, that's not going to exempt it from challah. So that would be different than truma and meiser. So there is a fundamental difference between the exemption of hefker with regard to challah and the exemption of hefker with regard to truma and meiser. And that is that truma and meiser doesn't need to be hefker at a specific moment. 
At any point, if the crops were hefker, that would exempt it later on. But challah is different because it does have to be hefker at the specific moment when it was made into dough. Now, the problem is that Rab Chaim's whole assumption so far in the piece has been that the exemption of hefker by challah is derived from truma and meiser. So how could there be a major core difference between challah and truma and meiser if challah is only learned out from truma and meiser? That's the question that Rab Chaim's dealing with. So he has two possible solutions to this. First, he suggests that maybe his assumption that we learn out the exemption of Hefker by Challah from Truman Meiser was incorrect. Maybe, in fact, we derive that exemption from the Pasuk of Ariso Sechem, which is said with regard to Challah, that it has to be your dough. So just like we exclude dough of Hektish and dough of a non-Jew, we also exclude ownerless dough. So that would be an internal leniency to Challah, not being derived from Truman Meiser, and that's why it would work differently. Because all the halachas of challah only take effect when it becomes a dough. So similarly, the exemption of hefker would only kick in at the moment when it became dough, but everything else before that would be irrelevant. So that would explain the difference between challah and truma and meiser, because truma and meiser is derived from the pusik of ubaha levi. So it only applies to produce which the levi is excluded from, whereas challah is derived from ariso sechem, so they have different halachas. Truma and meiser's leniency of hefker kicks in at any time in the process, whereas the hefker leniency of challah only kicks in when it's made into dough. So this approach of Rab Chaim separates challah from truma and meiser. They each have different sources. And the question of where the source in the Torah is for the exemption of challah from hefker dough is unclear. And Rab Chaim goes back and forth. Either we derive it from truma and meiser or we derive it from an internal reading of the Pasuk of Ariso Sechem with regards to challah. The second answer still uses the idea that we derive challah from truma and meiser, but Rab Chaim differentiates within truma and meiser itself. And this is based on a Yerushalmi in the first pack of Maisros, which itself differentiates between two instances of the leniency of Hefker in Truma and Meiser. And the Gemara says that Rabbi Law asked, what is the case where Hefker and Hegdish are exempt from Meiser? If it's when it was completed by Hegdish, so then the Torah said, Reishis de Gancha, your produce, not Hefker, not Hegdish. So if it was completed under the ownership of Hegdish or ownerless, then that exemption is derived from Reishis de Gancha that you have to own the produce. But then the Yushalmi continues that if he reacquired the produce and then the farmer himself completed it, so then that would only be exempt if it was Hefker, not if it had previously been Hektish, which is what Rab Chaim's been saying throughout. And the source of that leniency is from Ubaha Levi. Only produce which the Levi is excluded from is obligated, not produce that the Levi is included from. So the Yushalmi itself is differentiating two psukim, Reishis de Gancha and Ubaha Levi, that Reishis de Gancha excludes things which were completed by either Hektish or Hefker, whereas Ubaha Levi only excludes produce which was originally Hefker, but it does not exclude produce which was originally Hektish and then redeemed and then completed by the farmer. 
So this introduces a key distinction between Hefker and Hektish. When it comes to the leniency based on Rashis de Gancha, so there Hefker and Hektish are parallel, that if it was completed as Hektish or Hefker, then the produce is exempt from Truma and Meiser. But Hefker has another exemption, which does not apply to Hektish, and that's Ubaha Levi, which adds that if he reacquired Hefker and completed it, so then he would be obligated to take off Truma and Meiser. So based on that, says Rab Chaim, it could be that we do learn out the exemption of Hefker with regard to Chala from Truma and Meiser, but only from the Reishis de Gancha aspect of it. So Chala only has that aspect. It does not have the Ubaha Levi aspect. So that's why it's only going to apply to Hekdish and Hefker at the moment when they're completed. But the additional halacha of Hefker with Truma and Meiser, that if he acquired it and then completed it, he's still exempt from Truma and Meiser. That's not going to apply to Chala because Chala is only derived partially only half of the halachas of Hefker from Truma and Meiser applied to it. So the halacha that Hefker, which is acquired and then completed, is still exempt, doesn't apply to Chala. So that would explain the Rambam's ruling here, which implies that if it was Hefker and then he acquired it and made it into dough, he's still obligated in Chala, even though he made it Hefker after the water was poured into the flour. So the equivalent case of that in Truma and Meiser would still be exempt because of Hefker. But again, that's based on the Ubaha Levi addition to the exemption of Hefker, which is only for Truma and Meiser. That was not applied to Chala. So that's why in this case, the Rambam holds that the Chala would be obligated. The only case where Chala is exempt is when it was Hefker, when it was made into dough. So these two approaches of Rab Chaim are going to explain why the Rambam never mentions the leniency of Hefker with regards to Chala, even if it wasn't at the moment when it was made into dough, meaning it was done between pouring the water into the flour and then it was reacquired before it was made into dough. Because the Rambam holds in that case, it's actually going to be obligated. But this makes nice sense of that aspect of the Rambam. But now we're back to the original question that Reb Chaim began with. If so, then it means that the exemption of Hefker by Chala is inherently related to the moment when it's made into dough. So why didn't the Rambam include in the last case that both Hegdish and Hefker are exempt at the moment when it becomes dough? Rab Chaim's whole answer to this was that Hefker is not inherently related to when it becomes dough. It's just practically the only time for it to take effect. But now that he's backed off from that and he's saying that there is a theoretical connection between Hefker and the moment when it becomes dough, the whole concept of the leniency of Hefker only applies at that specific moment, so then why didn't the Rambam include it in the last case together with Hektish? Why does he drop the Hefker case when he gets to the actual exemption? So in the fourth paragraph, Rab Chaim goes back to his initial approach, which was based on the idea that the whole obligation of Chala only begins when it becomes dough. And in the third paragraph, he had gotten sidetracked because the Mishnah seems to imply that when the woman puts water into the flour, even before it's mixed into dough, there is some concept of Chala at that point. So that threw off Reb Chaim's equation that Chala is a single moment process. There's no two-step process like Truma and Meiser. So now Reb Chaim revives that initial idea 
And he explains that it was incorrect to compare the process of challah to truma and meiser because there's a key difference between the first step of truma and meiser, which is the produce growing a third, versus what the Mishnah indicates is the first step of challah, which is pouring the water into the flower. Those are not parallel steps. Even though on a practical level, they seem to function the same because at both moments, the farmer or the woman could choose to take the truma and meiser or the challah and it will have the status of truma and meiser and challah. It will become valid from that moment on, even though the obligation itself doesn't kick in until later. So practically, those two moments seem to function the same. But Rab Chaim says there's a key theoretical difference. And that is that bringing a third is part of the overall process of becoming obligated in Truma and Meiser. It's one of two steps which obligate this produce in Truma and Meiser. First it has to bring a third, and then it has to be completed. And they're both based on the Torah. The Gancha, it has to be your produce, so it has to have grown a third. That's what's called produce. And the Guncha, it has to be your completion. So from there we derive the second step that the farmer has to complete it. But once the first step of the gancha has been fulfilled, so then that's already significant for the overall obligation of truma and meiser in this produce. And at that point, the farmer could already take voluntarily the meiser, even though it's not obligated until the diguncha, the second step when he completes it. But this is not unrelated to the overall process of truma and meiser. It's part of it once the first step of the gancha has been completed. So then already the produce is enough in the concept of meiser that it could be taken at that point. As opposed to challah, so Rab Chaim maintains that challah is only obligatory on dough. There is no mitzvah of challah before that. There's no obligation and there isn't even the possibility of taking off challah. But there's a separate independent halacha of reshis arisosechem that once the water hits the flower, the woman could take the challah and it will be valid at that point. But that's not part of the overall process of challah. It's unrelated really to the general obligation of challah on this dough, which has not taken effect in any way until it becomes dough. If the woman takes challah before that, it is true that halachically it counts, but that's a separate halacha that we derive from the Torah. It's not a reflection of the fact that the challah process has already begun. So that's the key conceptual difference between truma and meiser versus challah. With regard to produce growing a third, the fact that the farmer could choose to take truma and meiser at that point is a reflection of the fact that the concept of truma and meiser has already begun. Before it's completed, there's already some steps relating to truma and meiser, which is based on the pasuk of digancha. As opposed to challah, even though practically the woman could take the challah even before the dough is made, but that's not a reflection that the challah mitzvah has begun. It's a reflection of a separate halacha derived from Reishis Arisosechem, but the mitzvah of challah does not in any way begin until it's made into dough. So now once Rab Chaim has a hard line on this idea that challah totally begins once the dough is made, before that the wheat and the flour have no relevance whatsoever to the mitzvah of challah, so then that's going to make sense of the distinction between hefker with regards to truma and meiser versus challah. Because Rab Chaim explains more carefully the halacha that hefker exempts produce from truma and meiser at any point in the process before it's completed. 
So Rab Chaim explains it more profoundly that the reason Hefker is so powerful is not because of the halacha that once it grows a third, then you could take off the truma and meiser. Because what's the relevance? Just because there's a rule that you can voluntarily take truma and meiser from this crop doesn't mean that there should be a leniency if it becomes Hefker after that. There's no connection between those two halachas. But the real connection, says Rab Chaim, is that since you could take Truma and Meiser voluntarily from this crop, that's a reflection that the mitzvah of Truma and Meiser has already begun with this crop. These crops are connected to the mitzvah of Truma and Meiser. They're part of that overall process. So if it becomes Hefker at that point, it's going to be exempt even if he gets it back before he completes it. So there is a very strong connection now and an explanation for why Hefker is going to exempt the produce because once it's brought a third, it's already related to the mitzvah of Truma and Meiser, even though it's not obligatory, but it's connected to that mitzvah already. And therefore the Hefker is going to exempt it from Truma and Meiser. But that, of course, is not going to apply to challah because as Rab Chaim's explained, the fact that the woman could take challah from water and flour even before it's turned into dough is not a reflection of any connection to the mitzvah of challah. It does not reflect that the mitzvah of challah begins earlier in the process before it becomes dough. It's a separate halacha that one can separate challah at that point. But since there's no reflection to the actual mitzvah of challah, so if it becomes hefker at that point, and then he reacquires it before he makes it into dough, then it's going to be fully obligated in challah. There is no exemption of hefker because it was hefker after the water touched the flour, because that step is not at all connected to the overall mitzvah of challah, and that's what's necessary in order for hefker to be an exemption at any point in the process. So this is going to bring us back to all of the ideas Rab Chaim said before, but now they're all going to tie together. The reason the Rambam does not say an exemption of hefker before the dough was made is because there is no exemption at that point. As Rab Chaim's been saying, the Rambam holds that if someone put water in flour and then made it hefker and then reacquired it and then made it dough, it is obligated. But that doesn't indicate that challah is different than truma and meiser. It's actually the same thing as truma and meiser. It's derived from truma and meiser, as Rab Chaim said in the beginning. But there is a key distinction between challah and truma and meiser that the bringing a third means that this produce is connected with the mitzvah of truma and meiser. Putting the water in the flour does not connect that flour and water with the mitzvah of challah until it becomes dough. That's why Hefker has no possible practical way to be an exemption for challah other than at the moment when it became dough. Anything before that is irrelevant to the whole mitzvah of challah. So now that Rab Chaim's balanced the two issues that were vexing this piece, how can they coexist together, which is on the one hand, the Rambam seems to indicate that Hefker is a broad exemption, even with regards to Chala, same as it is for Truma and Meiser, and that follows because Chala is learned from Truma and Meiser. But on the other hand, in the practicalities of it, the Rambam does not say that after the water touches the flower, the Chala exemption can kick in as it does with regards to Truma and Meiser. So how to balance those two things, which seem to contradict, was the root of Rab Chaim's back and forth. 
And now that he resolved it by explaining that bringing a third connects the produce to Truman Meiser in a way that pouring water and flour does not, so challah is totally dependent on becoming dough. Before that, it's not at all connected to the mitzvah of challah. So that resolves how those two things can coexist. Challah is derived from Truman Meiser, and it also functions the same way, but practically it differs because produce growing a third differs from pouring water in flour. So now, having explained that, this is going to make sense of the Rambam's formulation in the approach he started off with, which is that the Rambam is alluding to a conceptual distinction between Hefker and Hektish, even though practically they function the same, but there is a key distinction between them that Hektish is related to the moment when it becomes obligated in challah. It has to be hectish at that moment in order to be exempt. Hefker is theoretically a broader exception, but the only practical time that it would take effect is when it becomes dough. And that's exactly why the Rambam drops Hefker in the last case, so that you shouldn't think that Hefker works the same as hectish. It's connected for some reason to becoming dough. It's just that with regards to challah, that is the single milestone. Everything depends on that moment. Before that is not related to the mitzvah of challah, so it has to be hefker at that moment. So this is Rab Chaim's piece. The key conceptual point he's pushing is that challah only begins and it's only connected to the moment when it becomes dough. Nothing before that, not the growing of the wheat, not the making the flour, not even the putting the water into the flour connects it to the mitzvah of challah until it's turned into dough. And that's why the whole halacha of hefker only applies at that moment. But on a theoretical level, hefker would apply even earlier if it had any connection to the mitzvah of challah. That's the key point. And then there's three smaller points that Rab Chaim develops. First is the distinction between hefker and hektish, that hektish is related to certain milestones and key moments in the process of becoming obligated in Truman Meiser or challah, as opposed to hefker, which is at any point in the process unrelated to those milestones. The second is the distinction between produce growing a third versus pouring water into flour, even though on a practical level, both of them allow the mitzvahs of Truman, Meiser, and Chala to be done, even though they're not obligatory. But on a theoretical level, Rab Chaim differentiates very strongly that produce growing a third connects it to the eventual mitzvah of Truman Meiser. As opposed to pouring water in flour is unrelated to challah, there's just a separate halacha that challah can be taken, but it's not connected to the actual mitzvah, which is going to eventually come about of being obligated in challah. And the third issue Rab Chaim touches on is where do we derive the entire exemption of Hefker with regards to challah from? It's not stated explicitly. Is that learned out from Truma and Meiser, or is it an internal halacha within the laws of challah?